Welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that teaches you history in ways you've never learned before. Through rap! Yeah! We've, we're, we're working on a uh, musical. We're like Lin-Manuel Miranda up in here. <laughs> no, we are in no way like Hamilton, the very heavily copyrighted piece of artistic property. I was going to say, if you do address that, I can talk about some of the historical, like, edits... Because, <laughs> um, like, I don't have a beef with it because, like, it is a beautiful work of art. Mm. And as a work of art, it is lovely. But there are a couple historical things that they edit. Yeah. Like, yeah. So if you do that, I can kind of address it. <laughs> oh, we'll we do- should. We should do a Hamilton bonus, but you know what? I'm not. You can you can make me watch all seven seasons of the Andy Griffith Show. I'm not going to watch Hamilton. <gasps> I'll watch it on your behalf. King George right, steals fair. the show. I love that. I love that's, that actor. Eventually, fair. I will be watching Hamilton. It's it's in time. Uh, uh, I, oh. Hamilton is waiting for me. I am one of your hosts. I'm Marty Schneider. <laughs> I'm the other host. I'm Dan Ludwig. And you may have noticed we have a third voice in the studio with us tonight. Hello. Our special <laughs> guest, Jen Hensel, tour guide extraordinaire, owner, operator of Free Tours by Foot, which is a pay-as-you-wish tour company here in Philadelphia. So a historical educator of sorts here in the birthplace of, <laughs> of America. Sorts, of sorts. Of sorts. <laughs> uh, who has also appeared on podcasts like uh, Tour Guide Tell All. Jen, do you want to just introduce yourself? Talk about uh, your talk about your tours. Talk about what you've been doing. Well, what are you doing now that you can't? <laughs> yeah, get you in know? there because Marty is eating shit at it. Yeah, am... There was a honeymoon trip to San Francisco, and nine months later, <laughs> no. Um, so, as I like to joke, I'm like the history lover tour guide that hated history as a kid mm-hmm. um, because, and, and we'll probably talk a bit about about this as we go through the episode. But like, I hated history in grade school like my parents were awesome took me to tons of historical sites got into art history went to grad school worked in museums and I kind of backed into history when mm-hmm. 2008 made off all that stuff resorted in the museum I worked at closing and I bartended and I got introduced so basically I u- actually use my graduate degrees <laughs> But in a different way. Right. <laughs> Instead of a suit in a climate-controlled museum, <laughs> I basically stand on a street corner. Yeah. And dress like a camp counselor. You know, the way history was meant to be expressed. <laughs> or as pure. I like to say, you can touch the history and no one will yell at you. Except for the Liberty Bell. The people's way of expressing history. Mm-hmm. Down out in the streets, bringing it to the oh, main. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of the Liberty Bell, what is the, what's the worst part of, like, Philadelphia's historical neighborhoods? What's the lamest history thing that we've got? I feel like oh. it's the Liberty Bell. It's gotta be well, the Liberty Bell, right? it's not actually the Liberty Bell, because, like, no one really knows the history of the Liberty Bell. And so, like, everyone always asks, like, why did it crack? I'm like, that's not why it's important. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, it gets its importance, like... You know, with, you know, the suffragist movement and civil rights movement and black freedom, like people don't realize the name Liberty Bell 
comes from a poem for an anti-slavery newspaper in Boston. And it was written by a gentleman who was a former enslaved person. That has well, nothing to do with a crack. Well, now I feel like an asshole for talking yeah! shit on the liberty. Yeah, bill. same. Same. Oh, like, I've been talking shit on that bell no, for like eight years. Every, every, every time someone comes to Philadelphia, I'm like, you can skip the bell. We don't need to go look at that stupid <laughs> bell. We don't need to stand in line for it. It's because, you, and see, that's the thing. Is This is why I hated history as a kid. Because they never teach you that stuff. They yeah. don't teach you the real history, the life of it. They're like, oh, yeah, it has a crack. And then you move on. But I would say the lamest thing is probably the thing like very few people actually notice. So there is a little park near the library company and the second federal bank. And it's just a little park. And there's a statue with his hand raised holding like a rolled up version of the Declaration of Independence. And it's the cider. it's not even like a specific person it is just the embodiment of the declaration signing spirits i i know this statue i know this the founding fathers all hold up their rings and captain planet style form the the signer like and then he goes off to fight crime it's like okay this was definitely designed by committee this was somebody who needed a tax write-off, and that, I would say, is the lamest thing. Like, that's the thing that bothers me. I can't say the classic things, because, like, most people don't know the real history, so they assume it's lame. And I'm like, no, if you knew the real history, you probably wouldn't say that. But the <laughs> signer, like, that and then the fountain at the Betsy Ross house, like, it has cats on it. And everyone's like, oh, was she a cat lady? I'm like, no, this, the artist was famous for making cats and added as an artistic license. Uh, she was just like, hey, you want to see this kick-ass cat found I made? And they're like, can we make it about Betsy Ross? And she was like, I guess. You can say it's about anything if you want. Right, like, I, it's your money. things that like, I could definitely dive into, but I think that would have to be like, a different episode <laughs> yeah buddy they won't even let me fuck the cat fountain <laughs> well right now uh, you have to get your temperature taken before you even get close to it so one thing about the signer though i will say about that statue yeah it's just a generic guy but he is holding up that rolled up copy of the declaration as if it's a microphone and he looks like he's belting out a freddie mercury oh, yeah. scream like he just <laughs> looks like he is just just rocking out just jimmy page in it just He's like doing like a Highlander thing, like I did it. I signed. <laughs> the only one. Ah! <laughs> like, Lightning does strikes. Know, like the yarn bomber of Philly, that maybe we should plant that seed and see if the yarn bomber would be willing to bomb that statue and make it look like Freddie Mercury. I you should. We were talking about a serial killer. That no. I, that was like <laughs> no okay, yarn we bomber. Should, we it's sh- like we should really but knitting. Yeah, we should really specify what yarn bombing is for yeah. audience members that do not. It it's is like based... the person that made the sweater for the Rocky statue and the pink bikini for the former Rizzo statue. Yeah, it is basically someone or someones going around town and just putting... Sweaters. Sweaters on stuff, or like knit socks around poles or yeah. whatever. It's the most twee graffiti you can imagine. Graffiti it's twee, cute. if you will. It's real cute. Yeah, it's when like uh, people are- street graffiti... <laughs> When you people are out there like, oh, Philly is a town full of bastards. Oh, yeah, we put sweaters on statues, yeah. all right? We have a we, soft side. We are also a town full of bastards, though. We like, are a should... town full of bastards, but we do have a warm, cuddly side. <laughs> we just curse when we're knitting, that's all. Yeah. Stitch and bitch. <laughs> yes. 
All right, so the reason we've got Jen on, uh, we needed someone who knew American history because today's episode, uh, Eep. Eep? <laughs> today's episode involves and involves American t- history and the teaching thereof. Uh, teaching somewhat badly. Ah, oh, Jen's already like hyperventilating. She's getting ready. We're talking about season three, episode twenty-three. Andy discovers America. Originally airs March 4th, 1963, written by John Whedon, uh, and directed by guy who tells you that he's in an open relationship, but his girlfriend doesn't know about it, Bob Sweeney. Casually, <laughs> casually name drops that he's friends with the Kennedys, Bob Sweeney. And here is your one sentence summary from Wikipedia. Andy's advice to Opie and his schoolmates about history homework gets him in trouble with the new school teacher, Helen Crump. So he tells Opie and his friends a story about Paul Revere's ride to resolve the situation. Uh, real quick for our listeners, you all met Helen Crump in our previous episode. Uh, we went a little out of order. This is actually the first appearance of Helen Crump on the show, which makes the last episode make even less sense because Andy and Helen do know each other. They meet each other and have a long conversation in this episode. Like, yeah. The, 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 the episode we just did is all about, oh, Andy and Helen are going to get together and start courting and whatnot. And it acts as if they've never met before. Whereas the flirtation starts immediately in this episode. <laughs> Makes no sense. Anyway, Jen, uh, <laughs> you have some thoughts. How did you overall feel about this episode? Yeah, what did this episode do to your emotions? Well, I will. I have a little bit of a confession. This is the first full episode of Andy Griffith I've ever watched in my life. I've watched snippets and things because I will be frank, I'm more of an action girl. Like I'd rather watch Bob, um, not Bob, uh, Bruce Willis, like climbing out of the building kind of thing. <laughs> Bob yeah, like Willis. That's kind of who I am. <laughs> He's like Sylvester Stallone's brother, but for Bruce Willis. Yeah. Like if you can't, if you can't get Bruce Willis, you can get Bob, Bob. which does mean that you're uh, that you're in a bad straight with your movie because everybody can get Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce yeah. Willis is not hard. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where I was going with Bob, but there you go. <laughs> it, was, um, it was Sweeney. So, I mean, I understood like kind of the I I know who Andy Griffith is. I understand the show. It's just like I never watched like a full complete episode. Every guest we've ever had says that. So. Yeah, cool. cool. I'm I, I I'm glad I'm among others. And where he's first talking and like the kid and he's like, history is hard and it's all about the dates and you don't really need it. I I felt like I was the scene from Clue, Mrs. White, flames, flames, flames. <laughs> like I literally was just like, because that like hit a couple of triggers for me. Like first off, I'm tired of hearing people say history is hard. It's not hard. It's just Hmm. not taught to people in an engaging way. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. When I say taught, I do not place blame on teachers. I am very pro-teacher. I love teachers dearly. They're miracle workers. They have to literally uh, squeeze water from a stone. It's often the administration and the curriculum and all these other barriers that prevents them from doing their job. But history is not taught in an engaging way. It fixates on the numbers, the dates, when in some ways, like, that's just a touchstone. That's just a benchmark. So you have context for everything else. And then he's talking about, like, how you don't need it. And I was like, uh, like, 
if you don't know your history, you're going to repeat it. You don't have a context to your decisions. Basically, history helps inform your future because it's the foundation of what you spring off of. So I like right off the episode, I was just like, <laughs> it's it's like memorization as opposed mm-hmm. to actual learning. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like learn it long enough for your test and then you forget it and yeah. you don't need it. I mean, that I think that's good enough segue for a good enough intro. Let's talk about what we're actually talking about here. So, uh, every everyone can feel that emotional connection, and now the audience is like, "Yeah, let's let's hear about yeah. an Andy Griffiths episode." <laughs> <laughs> let's let's take all that heat and fury and talk about Andy's at how at the house, and there's a small boy eating breakfast. Sadly, <laughs> yeah, like it's just like keep that fucking momentum going. Yeah, uh, so that, there it is. There's our opener. Uh, they're eating breakfast. Uh, Opie's just kind of moping and sad. He is mopey Opie. Aunt B is doing the only thing she ever does on the show, which is serve breakfast. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. She's basically just Rosie from the Jetsons at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andy asks, like, what's up with Opie? Why are you so bummed out? And Opie says, it's old lady Crump. <laughs> we should we should specify we've, we about this. Uh, Helen Crump was never supposed to be a recurring character. Uh, they gave her the most unappealing name a television character could possibly have. <laughs> it's um, the worst because because it was it was supposed to be just this. It was and then that one the woman who plays uh, Helen Anita Coruscant shows up. She's okay at her job. She's not particularly anything special. She has probably more chemistry with Andy than any other actress we've seen on here. But that's not that's a low bar to clear. Uh, and then they said, okay, I guess we're keeping this woman and her terrible, terrible name. They gave her the name of, like, one of the characters in the Goonies. Like, <laughs> hey, Crump, come on! Or, like, an e- a shitty E.T. ripoff. Well, some, I, was, I have to say I was surprised, because when they were talking about, like, old lady Crump, I was imagining, like, like, who's that lady from Harry Potter that's, like, really dowdy, a little thicker, and she's the one that's, like... With the, the, the plants that scream and the earmuffs. Oh, and Professor Sprout? Maybe. Like, that's kind of the picture I was imagining. Like, warm yeah. and friendly, but frumpy, like, frizzy hair. Like, basically me on a day that I'm staying home. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Her, 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 name was, her name was Professor Sprout. She, yeah. taught the, she taught how to grow plants, and her name was Professor Sprout. This is the most famous children's book series of all time. <laughs> the author of this book, in which the herbology professor, the gardening professor, is named Professor Sprout, has more money than the queen. Just <laughs> reminder, most famous book series of all time. Could buy and sell us like cattle. For some reason, spends all of her time on Twitter being mean to trans people. I Just Ugh. the worst human being. Uh, Old Lady Crump gives them too much homework. So Opie's really mad because he's basically, they got a new teacher. She's making them learn history now. Uh, he fucking hates it. And he now has, like, homework for the first time in ever. And yeah, is what? Not, like, I'm eight. Have you guys heard about this fucking homework thing? This is some bullshit. Their teacher was, like, wildly asleep at the wheel. Helen Crump actually says that. Helen Crump's complaint is that yeah. these children were way behind where they were supposed to be, I guess, by state standards. I don't know if we'd start standardized testing at this point. Maybe oh, just starting it. I don't know. Um, She's like, hey, some, no one's been teaching these kids and they're all dumb as shit. Like, <laughs> you can, I, I know I'm a hard ass, but like, your kids are fucking morons. Exhibit A, 
everything we've seen Opie do this entire series. And it so, doesn't yeah. help any that Opie is surrounded by adults that, like, don't even know their history. So, like, yeah. I guess when we get to the next scene, I can interject where, like, Emancipation Proclamation comes up. Let's do that right now. So Andy's okay. Andy's kind of muttering to himself. He's wondering if, like, maybe they're too young to start history. There's a <laughs> dumb line where Aunt B's like, maybe they have to start early. There's more history these days. Uh, there's it's, a joke it's a good about, line. There's a joke about Truman uh, taking Manila. Blah, blah, blah. A- point is, Andy's skeptical about all this. Enter Barney, who just kind of cramers his way into and just starts eating whatever, like, pasty <laughs> oatmeal they're having for breakfast. <laughs> it's it's really interesting, Jen, to me that you took Opie's uh, interpretation from it. Because Andy never says you don't need history. Andy specifically says, I was not very good at history either. I just want you to do your best and grow up to be a good young man. And that'll be good enough for me. So he doesn't say don't do your homework and he doesn't say history is not important. That's what Opie takes from it. Yeah. But he yeah. doesn't he doesn't ever say that. No, he uh, doesn't. But like there's a subtext to it because he's not emphasizing. He's not saying like, oh, well, let me help you. Maybe we can do this together. Or, oh, I found it hard too. these are things I found to help me. Yeah. Like yeah. Then he's yeah. doing a cop out and a cop out is basically saying, oh, it's so hard. And so. It's sort of a subtext of saying, well, why bother? He's not like, don't learn history. But he's also, he basically just says like, hey, if you fail history, I will really give a shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't seem to, to care too much about it. Yeah, so he doesn't, uh, he, he really just takes an aggressively neutral stance. Uh, Barney takes, Barney does the Barney Fife thing where he just tells everyone he's great at everything. Uh, and he does his Barney Fife bit where he goes, oh, go ahead, ask me anything. Ask me about whatever. And Andy goes, okay, uh, what's the Emancipation Proclamation? If you've ever seen this show before, you know what's going to happen now. Barney, for about six minutes, just fumbles around, getting around saying what the Emancipation Proclamation was. Uh, by the way, not a great look to no. set your show deeply in the South <laughs> and brag about a character not knowing about the declaration that ended slavery. Not a... Uh, correction, not a, uh, correction. Oh. Ooh. This is a common misnomer. The Emancipation Pro- um, Emancipation Proclamation did not actively end the institution of slavery. It set forward that goal. It set forward the idea of it. And it kind of got this momentum that Union soldiers, as they started fighting to the South, were fighting for freedom. But it does not technically end it. That doesn't come about until later. Yeah, suck it, Marty. You Barney Fife ass <laughs> dipshit. Fuck you. Like, oh, like, oh, trying to get all high and mighty, bringing that weak ass shit in here. <laughs> I mean, because you have to understand, like, the proclamation was January 1st of 1863. You have the 13th Amendment, which they tried to pass, passes the Senate, but like, the House do not, like doesn't have enough votes. So then they bring it back again. It's not till 1865, January um, 23rd, that it's then actually voted. And Abraham Lincoln never sees it actually ratified. So it's like two years later that the institution, and I'm being very clear to say institution of slavery, because the there were black codes in the South far from equality like we're still battling that today sorry soapbox moment but i have to say it and like so even though it set the goal forward and it was this beautiful statement and it's announcing to the world but it didn't actively stop 
And so and a lot were, of people put those two together. There was about a two year difference. And there was a lot of loopholes through which mm-hmm. slavery continues uh, today. Marty, you piece of shit, you ignorant <laughs> motherfucker. Do know, I do know that slavery wasn't like actively ended until June 19th of 1865 when it was finally read to troops or to uh, slave owners in Texas almost two and a half years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's technically Juneteenth is technically and like the, the 13th okay, amendment Marty. only freed, well only ended the institution in the seceding States, which was only 11. Um, the, the States that had already been captured by the union or were not succeeding. So like border States were not included in that. So there yeah, were ways Marty. around it. And you didn't know this either, Dan. So don't try and beat up on Marty. No, yeah, I absolutely Suck it, did. Daniel. I absolutely did, but I'm not pretending to know. Dan. Uh, Jen, I appreciate all of that. I, I I love that you're doing this. I need you to pick your battles just a little bit because if you if you go into that much level every time we get something wrong, we're gonna be here for hours. Yeah. Like, well, that was a big one. That was a big yeah. one. I'm sorry. It is. It's it, 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 it is a big one, and the whole the whole bit here is that Barney doesn't know what it is remotely. Yeah. Barney, the thing I thought they were going to do is like, well, what's the Emancipation Proclamation? Who was Napoleon? Uh, what? When did Rome yeah. fall? And I thought they were going to like go through a list, and he wasn't going to know all of them. And he was, and they were just like, no, he really doesn't know what the Emancip- Emancipation Proclamation is. We're going to stick with this, like, yeah. Such a very weird, yeah. It, it's it's because it kind of rhymes, and it's kind of funny to hear Dodd Nods' voice say a thing that kind of rhymes. This is the Andy Griffith show in a nutshell. It's just like, we got the one joke, it's gonna go hard. Yeah. But it's like, as you said, like, they were in the South, so that hits very differently with that yeah, setting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it takes on a very uncomfortable vibe. It, it doesn't start comfortable, but around minute six of this joke. Oh, yeah. I think that's when I started cursing at the screen. Yeah. Finally, Opie bounces and he goes to uh, school. And Andy and uh, Barney kind of sit around talking about, like, old shitty teachers they had. Really pointless. Uh, then we get <laughs> we get to the classroom. Surprise, surprise. Helen Crump is hot. <laughs> it's, it's like a big reveal. <laughs> like, old lady Crump is probably really old. She's hot. <laughs> uh, and Crump really employs a guilt and shame based methodology to teaching. Like, I am not a fan of her teaching style just because it's basically like, like, Opie, stand up, recite your homework. Oh, you can't do it? Why can't you do it, you little piece of shit? You little turd. Look around at all your classmates. Everyone, boo him. Boo this child. She's doing like, like, she's doing like Socratic method at Harvard Law with these yeah. eight year olds. Opie stands up and she's like, what's the year of this thing? And Opie's like, I don't know. And she's like, like the, a normal response would be like, all right, well, come see me after class because you're in trouble. And so she's like, all right, Opie, explain why you're such a little piece of shit that doesn't know that information. You little turd. It just, just walk us through all the things you did instead of your fucking homework. Yeah, she definitely felt like she had a chip that she was trying to, like, prove something. I mean, I could kind of understand a little bit because she probably, like, this is probably, like, a culmination of frustrations. And she just basically pseudo-lost it. But, like, not with little, like, eight-year-olds. Like, if you're going to lose it, go to the administration. Maybe it's a a tactic to win authority. Like, if you take out the alpha child, the other (laughs) ones will fall in line. 
The alpha child. Literally zero chance that Opie's the alpha child, man. Come on. (laughs) I'm not an education professional, but that seems like a valid tactic. Like, he's like the Eeyore (laughs) of the children. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, even for the rest of this episode, Opie doesn't have much to say other than, yeah, and that's right. He's kind of like hype manning. He's the Flava Flav of his crew. (laughs) Wait, did Flava Flav never actually fucking rap? Flava Flav never rapped. Oh he was God. an MC and a hype man. That's insane. They just strategically uh, like interjected. I guess I'm Flavor Flav today. Then <laughs> that is just recon- recontextualize all of the Flavor Flav shit for me. I thought he was a good rapper. So Miss Crump calls out all of the boys in class specifically uh, because only the boys didn't do their homework. The girls were good students who never say anything. By the way, we we pointed this out before. It's been three seasons. We've heard a little girl speak once on yeah, this show. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm I'm picking my battle. I'm not going to choose this one, but I will say my inner feminist and like stereotypes of women in education like definitely like yeah (laughs) let's just say like yeah oh no it's a very like uncomfortable classroom Mm -hmm. just like the boys are in their one section being all rowdy and all of the girl characters are so still that they could possibly be dummies that they got. Yeah. Like, and like, if they did anything, they'd probably be scolded because it's like, oh, boys will be boys. Girls are of all things nice, sugar and spice. And it's like, yeah. All right, patriarchy. O- Opie basically says that his dad said history isn't important and he doesn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Helen's like, okay, you sit down. I'm going to deal with you later. She calls on the boy behind Opie. And that boy's like, I don't know either. Opie didn't have to answer. What's your deal? Screw you. And then the boy's like in solidarity, almost unionize and strike against the Lord teacher. of the flies. Yeah. <laughs> they form a block and they're like, if we consolidate power, we can make collective demands. Goes horribly because she just doubles all of their uh, homework, including the boy that was like, well, I did do my homework, but I need to stand with my brethren, and then just gets nuked with double essays. Yeah, that kid's name is Whitey, and Whitey does not cross a picket line. <laughs> um, There's yeah, something really like, wrong with that name, Whitey. I'm sorry. I, oh, you know what? I, re- I regretted saying that the instant it came out of my mouth. Yeah, I no, might delete that. We're going to clip it. I- we're clipping that and I'm going to use it out of context and no one will get angry because everyone will be very confused. So Crump does again, she's not a good teacher uh, because a child says, my dad says I don't have to do homework. And like, I feel like a sane reaction would be like, well, this child is probably lying. And, and Crump is like, I'm a fight this fucking parent. Yeah. Helen's just like, let me take this at face value. Yeah. I'm sure that this eight year old, did not misunderstand or lie. Kids lie all the time for no reason. This eight-year-old says he's supposed to have chocolate for lunch every day, and I'm going to go yell at his dad for inappropriate nutrition. Kids are technically psychopaths because yeah. like, they don't have that part of their brain developed yet. So like, kids just don't have the part of their brain to be like, well, lying about this is technically bad because they just don't know yet. They haven't grown. No. So, like, she should know. If she's teaching kids, she should know. Like, all right. Yeah, uh-huh. Really? <laughs> the next scene is that uh, in the jail, all of the boys rush into the jail. And they're like, and they they scream at Andy, like, 
we said what you were gonna what you said and we're not gonna do homework and andy doesn't make a real effort to correct any of them he's like now hold on now and then they run away yeah (laughs) he doesn't even like tell them to stop he's just like well i guess this doesn't seem to be my problem anymore so back to literally whatever the fuck i was doing (laughs) miss crump runs in uh and just goes off on andy in a way that lets me know like this woman should not be a teacher like, hey, if, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They 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 infer that like she's new. They infer that she maybe this is her first teaching job ever. But kids aren't kids are gonna not do homework, and parents are gonna be shitty. Like mm-hmm. that's just part of the job. You can't just go to your to a parent's place of work and yell at them because you're mad at their kid. That's not a thing you can do. Although I feel teachers. like that might would probably be a fantasy of a lot of teachers. Oh, oh yeah. that's true. Because they have that's enough true. parents come to their place of work and scream at them. That's yeah. true. So they probably uh, would fantasize about that. So so Miss Crump comes in and yells at Andy. And it, they do the Andy Griffith Show thing where nobody talks to each other. They talk at and around each other. Like, this could have been solved by uh, Andy saying, no, I didn't say that. Yeah. He never well, says that. He, he tries ca- to. He's like, well, yeah, but... And then she yells at him. He's like, well, I did say that, but also... And they was like, well, I do think, but... And, like, he doesn't... Like, to give to be fair to him, he does not get a fucking word in edgewise. No, and they portray her as this total shrew. Like, yeah. they're just making her this screaming, like, angry shrew of a woman instead of being, like, like an actual three-dimensional character. Yeah, like they they definitely lean hard into that uh 1950s concept of hysterical. Ugh. Like yeah, they're like well, We could have ha- an episode where I talk about the history of the word hysterical for you. <laughs> we could watch that movie Hysteria where Guy Pierce fingers a bunch of women. Which is kind of appropriate cuz the word hysteria does come from the le- I think it's Latin or Greek for uterus. I mean, what are you guys doing after this? If you've never seen the movie <laughs> his, like that that's my recommendation. Hysteria is about the invention of the vibrator and uh it's uh historical place uh basically treating women for the condition of hysteria. Is it Guy Pierce? I'm pretty sure it's about Guy Pierce. Anyway, it's a I think it's Guy Pierce or or one of the actors that look like that. Like like there, there's, there's a whole there, guy a pierce ethan hawk and sometimes jude law gets mixed in there too depending on the role because he has like they, they they make his makeup or hair but we could do that one episode it, i don't think i've seen the full movie yet. it was hugh dancy wow you were way off <laughs> oh i know i am much less interested <laughs> i wanted to watch guy pierce finger people i don't know even know who the hell hugh dancy is who the fuck is Hugh Dancy? I he's, don't care. He's British Guy Pierce. Okay, I thought I thought he's Guy Pierce was fellow Pierce Australian. <laughs> well, now I'm. Gross. If you want to really appreciate Guy Pierce, watch Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Oh, he's great. <laughs> yeah, this just is... watch that because watch that, and then every other movie by Guy Pierce takes on a completely different connotation. <laughs> uh, like, is he like mm-hmm. super creepy in it or? Uh, no, I'm not going to spoil it, but just trust me. Like, you need to see Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Guy Pierce is great in Memento. Guy Pierce is great in uh, L.A. Confidential. He's... I didn't really like him in Iron Man. 
I think he was a little too swarmy. I think that was more of a case of he was directed incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. Really give him a lot to do. Iron Man three is my favorite Iron Man because it's the Marvel movie for people that hate Marvel movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also, like, even though it's a weird adaptation of the book, man, he rules in Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this episode dedicated to Guy Pierce. Not, he didn't yeah. di- he didn't die or anything. He just rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So moving on. Um, so Guy Pierce are called shot for like our peak guests. We're gonna get him. We're gonna get Guy Pierce on the show. Work our way up the ladder. Uh, he ain't doing anything right now. So Helen yells at. <laughs> Uh, we're not gonna get him that way she yells at andy um he's kind of like befuddled um andy does like offer one objection where he's like well maybe i thought it it was a little beyond their years and that's when helen drops like you got a bunch of dumbass kids in this town your teacher was like drunk or something and so none (laughs) of them know any fucking history so I'm trying to get them up to speed, and I'm kind of rushing them, so I'm giving them most, most homework. Sorry for trying to make your kids not morons. Uh, and then kind of storms out. Which I do actually respect the candor of that. Mm-hmm. Of not being like, well, there's a little bit of an education gap, and... Yeah, she kind of grew on me with that, because yeah. I think that was a very Philly way of saying it. Yeah. She got fucking moron dipshit kids. You know what? It, we'll see more of Helen throughout this, but if, like, she's the one big city, like, Philadelphian loud person in this entire city town of Maybarians, mm-hmm. she's going to be my favorite character. If she I'm just walks around the town roasting yeah, everything, and, I'll and, be very happy. And and what makes me think that might be the case is that the posters on the ultra-reliable Mayberry wiki hate her. Yeah. So we're going <laughs> to love her. <laughs> because, Wonderful. I mean, she, like... She didn't say it in that cute, southern, polite way. Like, she said it in the Philly, like, you're being an idiot, and I'm telling you to your fucking face. Yeah. Like, I'm doing the verbal equivalent of smacking you upside the head with a brain duster. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, in fact- So she kind of won me over on that little bit. I was like, all right, sister, all right. In fact, let, let me go ahead and uh, read us some- some comments from the ultra reliable Mayberry wiki on the wiki page for Helen Crump. I must admit, I never liked Helen Crump. I couldn't see the attraction or the chemistry between the two. I've tried over the years to see her more favorably, but I never can. Just not a fan of Helen Crump. We never cared much for her either. She was always so jealous. She wasn't one of my favorite actors on the Andy Griffith show. She just didn't seem to fit in. I want to point out there are two years in between these comments. <laughs> one was tw- January 2016, and the reply was May 12th, 2018. May I ask the gender of the person posting these? Oh, some, of the, some of these are anonymous. They're all anonymous, but they're all men. They're all men. Uh, I dislike the Helen Crump character as well. Among other things, she appeared self-righteous, controlling, and sarcastic. Where's the appeal? (laughs) That means we're going to like her. And Um, and this is one. That's just the polite way of saying she was a bossy bitch. And this one is, this one's very weird. I'm going to do one last one because this one's very weird. January 29th, 2014 by a fandom user. I must admit I hated Helen Crump's laugh. A host of potential girlfriends were introduced in the series as love interests for Andy. Note that several were the county nurse. I liked the episodes where Joanna Moore, Tatum O'Neill's biological mother, played a girlfriend of Andy Taylor. Google this actress sometime. 
She led a tragic life, lost custody of Tatum and her son at one time due to drug and alcohol problems and subsequent DUIs. The tragic figure had to don a wig and pop in dentures when she made numerous appearances on many popular series from the 60s and 70s, dot, 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 dot. That dot, 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 dot goes nowhere. It was so much fun to watch Jen's facial expressions during that. Just the look of one. I feel like there's a couple layers to that, which I'm gonna, I'm assume like part of that was reacting with horror to the contents of that long rambling nightmare text that Ted Bundy asked uh, letter. But also, I feel like there was a layer of horror of oh my god, these people do this. Like Marty yeah, is and currently I was reading like, one of these to like, me. Dude, did you go off your meds? Because you totally lost your own plot. They're all like, like this. Plot. They're all like, <laughs> like this. Like, like, wow. All right. I mean, it's one thing to go off on a tangent and then come back. Yeah. But like, that was not a tangent. That was like, you lost your map, your compass, and your GPS all at once. And you're just drunkenly wandering into the woods. You started writing another person's Wikipedia page. <laughs> Like, yeah. In the middle of your comment. <laughs> I, I want to get back to the show. Uh, there's a commercial break, and we basically come back to jail. And I don't understand how much time has passed since the last scene. I feel like at least 24 hours have passed. Yeah, it feels like it was the too. next day. Because the boys rush in, and it's like the next afternoon. Because they're talking about what happened at school that, that day. Which means at least 24 hours have passed. Andy went home at some point and I guess made zero attempt to be like, hey, Opie, let me correct what I said earlier. Like, well, we are talking 1950s here. And so I don't really think men were that present in parenting. So he probably wouldn't have even thought yeah. of trying to help. Uh, I, like that would not have been his fear. I, I, my only counter argument to that is that like most of this show is about Andy parenting Opie. Most of this show is about Andy getting involved in Opie's life. For better or worse. But so not doing it. Getting involved versus parenting yeah. consistently half-assing it. So <laughs> I do stand by Jen's interpretation. Andy, Andy, knowing full well that he did wrong, makes no attempt in the following 24 hours to, to change this. Anyway, that's the next afternoon. The boys rush in and they're like, hell yeah, you showed her. You ran her out of town. And Andy goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. One of the bo- <laughs> one of the boys got sent to the principal's office, and while he was at the principal's office, he heard some of the other teachers gossiping, saying that Helen Crump might quit. Barney, lo- Andy looks at Barney, and Barney's horrified, and Andy goes, oh, what do I do now? Uh, and then the next ten minutes of this are a good old-fashioned Andy Griffith monologue. Um <laughs> And this, okay. is, this is why we brought you on, Jen. But so Jen. I have a few battles here. I have a few we'll, battles. We'll, we'll here. get into. The, by the way, this entire episode is in the public domain. The copyright expired on it. I could just play this entire episode right now in the <laughs> podcast if I wanted to. I won't because uh, you would all turn it off. But uh, but if our listeners upset us, we will. <laughs> like, do not fucking cross us. Or we I think that's like cruel and unusual punishment, and there's kind of laws against that. They need to be kept in line. Uh, <laughs> Give uh, us yeah. a rating and review, or it'll happen. Uh, okay, to, to clarify, when Andy Griffith, the comedian, before he got his uh, show, before he became famous, this was kind of his comedy style. When he was like, he was famous for doing long, rambling storytelling monologues. We've seen him do it on the show. He's done his bits where he's like, I'm going to tell the story of Romeo and Juliet, but I'm going to do it in a Southern style. Uh, 
And we haven't seen him do this for a while. He hasn't done it all season. So they just give him, like, the entire second act to do this. Uh, yeah. And he and I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. Like, I'm a big fan of, like, Spalding Gray, which whole thing is about rambling storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, like, I will say I do kind of like a little bit of redneck humor. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah. I wasn't. But it was just, like, the history part of me was going Wrong, wrong, no, no, red X, red X, red X. <laughs> so th- th- it was like, <laughs> yeah, Jen, do you want to take us through it? Like, okay, no, no, no. I think before I dive yeah. in, you should kind of maybe outline yeah. his little monologue yeah, so, of like what I'll, he touches I'll on. I'll do that. Because <laughs> then I'm going to dive in the deep end. So, so Andy starts off by saying, uh, yeah, I guess you kids don't need to learn any more history anymore. You'll never hear about all those gun sh- uh, guns and cannons and redcoats and Indians and stuff. And the boys get intrigued. They go, what guns and cannons and Indians and redcoats and stuff? Uh, and Andy says, oh, they had a real nifty gun in those days. A gun that could fire a shot heard clear around the world, which if I remember my schoolhouse rock correctly, refers to the Battle of Concord, which is the opening shot that begins the American Revolutionary War. Lexington and Concord today. But yes, yeah, specifically Concord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they make it sound like the Amer- like America invented a mega gun. That, <laughs> yeah, like the super, yeah yeah the super powerful like 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 the fucking Joker's gun in Batman. And of course, we fetishize the violence of our history. Yeah. You know, it's like be- ooh, these little boys are getting excited over guns and violence. You know, so they, they get really excited about this and. uh Andy goes into a monologue where he tells somewhat the story of Paul Revere. He basically <laughs> he basically explains uh, that America used to be part of the British, uh, most part of England. We weren't getting along, so they were going to send redcoats over to whoop us. Uh, his his interpretation of how the country was formed was a bunch of guys got together. Then they said, "Well, how do we start a country? I don't know. I guess we just do it." Like you'd think, because he's like, "I'm going to pitch." history to these young boys through violence and yeah but then his strategy is like i'm gonna describe this horse really (laughs) in depth like i'm gonna describe a horse is like a jet engine and the boys are like yeah horse it's it's (laughs) it's really funny because he doesn't talk after he says yeah we're gonna talk about this gun and this big old gunshot he doesn't talk about guns or violence really ever at all through the rest of this he only uses it as a teaser to get their attention mm-hmm. uh, the description is mostly horse <laughs> <laughs> well one time a long time ago this country was a part of england and we wasn't getting along with them too good in fact we was thinking about breaking away and starting our own country but the king over there in england he says you do that and i'm going to send my red coats they was British soldiers, and he's going to send them over here to whoop us. Of all the nerve. Yeah. He says, you better think about that thing. Well, so your great, 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 great granddaddies all got together, you know, to think about it. And they argued about it back and forth a while. And finally, one of them says, let's do it. Let's start our own country. Somebody says, how you do that? Says, I don't know. Says, I reckon you just start. Says, uh, what do we call it? Says, let's call it... Let's call it the United States of America. That was a good name. Yeah. Okay. Woo. So where should I dive in? Okay. Um, 
I like. I can just go grab another drink. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> He's gonna uh, go the fuck off. Did, well, did anybody want Chinese? I could order order like, us a I pizza. Feel like, <laughs> um. Oh wow, where should I start? Um. Let me let me go with the Paul Revere one because I feel like that will kind of like ease me in. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, for for reference, what Andy says is that Paul Revere. You know, I'll just play the clip here. I'll put. I'll put. Yeah, I'll put the clip here. Now, about that time, up in Boston, Massachusetts, there's a fellow living up there named Paul Revere, and he's a pretty good old fellow, just as poor as Job's turkey, but he's a pretty good old fellow, and he owned a real good old horse named Nelly. Now, Paul, he is wandering around the streets up there one night, and he come up on a friend of his, and he says, "Howdy, what's new?" His friend says, "What's new?" Says the British is coming. That's what's new. What's the matter with thee? And Paul says, you're kidding. He says, it's a fact. Says, I just heard it from an Indian. And you know them Indians, they keep their ears to the ground. And Paul says, do the folks know about this? Fella says, I just heard about it myself. And Paul says, well, what we gonna do? And fella says, I'm getting out of town. And Paul says, well, we got to spread the word. He says, you spread it. I'm getting out of town. Well, Paul, he didn't know what to do. But he knowed he had to do something. Now it happened. It happened that they had planned if the British was ever to come over here, that they'd put a light up in this high church steeple. And Paul went down there to look. And sure enough, there was the light burning brighter than day. Well, Paul, he jumped on his old horse and he lit out. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew he had to go somewhere. Oh, I wish you could have seen it. That old horse with his ears laid back and his nostrils wide open, sucking in wind like a jet engine, feet pounding on them cobblestones, striking off sparks, Paul holding on for dear life and a hollering at the top of his lungs. He says, the British is coming, the British is coming. Get you a gun, we gonna have us a revolution. I have the the Paul Revere Longfellow poem up to I might read a bit later so yeah let's dive in on that one because I think that's like the most obviously wrong the other things are oversimplifications but yeah let's go with that one Andy says that Paul Revere uh he doesn't ever do the like one if by land mm-hmm. two if by sea thing he just says that Paul Revere heard from a friend who heard from some Indians uh that the British were coming uh a little mild racism there uh and that paul revere says well i gotta go tell people uh and he looks at a church sees a lantern runs through screaming the british is coming british is coming grab your gun we gonna have us a revolution yeah no. <laughs> and that's and apparently <laughs> that know. starts the battle of lexington and concord because there's where the shot okay. heard well, let me yeah. let me let me backtrack yes. so i think where he gets confused with the indian part is the the tea party because the tea party the people who threw the tea into the harbor off the ship dressed as indians to try to be in disguise and try to like redirect any anger they sparked because they were being chicken Mm -hmm. i think what he's doing is he's basically referencing the longfellow poem it was written by longfellow in 1860 because he saw what was coming of the civil war he sees this tension and he's like we got to reconnect. We're forgetting the revolution. We're losing the plot. Like, let's try to prevent a war. So Longfellow fellow writes this poem in 1860 to try to, like, invent, um, invent a history to try and, like, bring us together and prevent a civil war. Mm-hmm. And he gets a lot of the history just opposite or flat out wrong. Like, it, it's a poem. 
And that's fine if he's not historically correct. But the problem is, like, for two, like almost two centuries, this was used as historical document. He mm-hmm. wrote it in 1860, even though he had a letter that Paul Revere wrote to a friend, um, 1798, outlining what he actually did. First off, there was no Indians. It was actually a doctor in Boston who told Paul Revere, hey, the regulars are coming. The troops are coming. Paul Revere then tells his friend in the Old North Church to light the lanterns. So it wasn't like Paul Revere was waiting to see it. Paul Revere was the one to say, hey, I heard they're coming by water, light two lanterns, because he was still in Boston. Mm -hmm. And two other guys, Samuel Prescott and William Dawes, were already, like Prescott was going to go down the neck, which was the bridge. Dawes was over in Charlestown. Paul Revere was still in Boston. So, like, he's not looking for the light. He's lighting it. He's telling people, hey, I've got info. Because he had his own spy network. Mm. And so he goes to his house, which is not far from the church. He gets dressed, borrows a horse called Brown Beauty. Like, he didn't even have his own horse. He borrowed a horse. (laughs) But he borrows that in Charlestown across the water. And he talks so much about this horse. And he talked about this horse in air. Yeah, Yeah. it's not even his. And, like, the funny thing is, he doesn't even ride out of Boston. He paddles out. Because he, Prescott... (laughs) <laughs> no, with the horses on the other side. He's not even at the horse yet. So Prescott that horse fucking got drowned. a head start. So Prescott got the head start. He goes the long way by land, down the neck, over a bridge. Whereas, you know, Paul Revere gets into a boat. His buddy and him are paddling across the harbor. He lands in Charlestown. He borrows a horse. He rides to Lexington. And he's not screaming anything. This is a secret spy network. If anything, he's trying to be quiet and secret. And he's not screaming, the British are coming, because he would literally be doing the equivalent, I'm here, because we were British. Oh. We were British. Right. We were overthrowing our parliament. So what he would have said is he was riding to meet with John Hancock and John Adams and such to warn them because the regulars were coming to arrest them and they were also coming to steal the munitions and ammunitions that they had stockpiled in Concord and Lexington. And so he rides, he goes to John Hancock's house and he's trying to tell the guard there, like the regulars are coming. The regulars are coming. He's trying to be quiet. There was no screaming in the streets. (laughs) Like the British were there. It's like, dude, come on, just give away. And then he actually gets caught He doesn't make it to Lexington. He doesn't do the full ride. Prescott does. Dawes falls off his horse and gets lost. Um, (laughs) Like a a fucking asshole. Dawes, you piece of shit. Dawes is is the Barney Fife of history. I mean, he gets part of the way. He doesn't get the whole way. Paul Revere doesn't get the whole way because he gets caught by the British, arrested, and his horse taken away. It wasn't even his horse. Yes. So he's walking the rest of the way. Now he owes a guy a horse. (laughs) Yeah, he owes a guy a horse. Now, the one thing he kind of got right is the ride is a precursor to the shot heard around the world. Because the, the, the troops coming, so he's riding at night. 
by dawn, the regulars, the Redcoats, are in Concord. And they're coming for the munitions. Then they make, the, like, I think eight colonists were killed. Um, they get to Lexington. They don't know who actually shot the first shot. Um, it was kind of a melee, so they don't know who actually shot. But so the first cool. official shot of the revolution, then they make it to Lexington. Um, Lexington. And so these are literally considered the first two battles of the American Revolution. So it's officially started. So he kind of, like, he didn't phrase it well, but mm, the, close. The, the phrase shot heard around the world, oh, if I know. That came way later. That's, that, that was completely that's also fabricated. That's a poem, right? That's, that's Ralph Waldo well, Emerson. Well, that start, yeah, that's Walt, uh, Emerson. He wrote it 1837. It's called the Concord, oh, Hi- Concord Hymn. He wrote it because in Concord they were dedicating a war memorial and he's from that area and so he was from boston but he spent a lot of time in concord he lived in that area so he wrote this to kind of celebrate this memorial and that saying caught on but you have to understand it's not the only shot heard around the world the assassination of franz duke ferdinand is also considered that and i think there's two other ones that aren't coming to me right now but let let me ask you this jen what do you think about the technique of using, I guess, glorifying the violence or this kind of methodology of getting uh, kids involved. And, and not just kids, right? It's specifically young boys. And it's, it's, yeah. it's making history filtered through a like preteen boy lens. Does I hate it. You hate it. All right. <laughs> I hate it. I mean, I understand the thought behind it of trying to find something to hook their interests. I don't like that they're using violence because too much of our nation's history is violence. Like, just look at it. It is dripping in blood. But, like, that's just basically setting this precedent that violence is okay. And also it's glorification of these people, these historical figures, which are not perfect people. A lot of our historical figures are demigods. They're put in these pedestals. There's these perfect, heroic. Yeah, they did great things, but they're real people. And they were all in the stage I, of the stage three syphilis too. So, like, <laughs> not all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, they, Paul Revere ended up having sixteen children, so something was working. They were they were mostly alcoholic syphilis syphilis patients. Well, the Boston Massacre basically historians chalk that up to the fact that all the Bostonians were drunk because <laughs> the dock workers were paid in rum. And you basically, that's where you got the term, drink your wages. That does sound like us. Uh, <laughs> and the, yeah. Uh, uh, and being drunk Paul for Revere's an occasion the one who and lying about it, it the is Boston a massacre. Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, that's most of Boston is they're yeah. drunk. How, how, um, how do you handle it then, Jen? How do you, like, when, when we talk about stuff in Philadelphia, a lot of Philadelphia's history is violent. I mean, we, yeah, uh, a lot of history is violent. I try to find a balance. I try to find a balance like yes we were fighting for our interpretation of freedoms but we're fighting against you know redcoats a lot of them that were coming from england like i try to find a commonality between the two and yes i lean heavily like we were the right guys because we were like you know good but i try not to paint them as perfect people like they had flaws and i think knowing their flaws is okay because if anything it's inspiring because it's like, wow, you had trouble getting out of bed. You have trouble, you know, getting motivated. 
and you did these things, maybe I can too. Whereas if there's some perfect, perfect person, you're just like, why should I bother? Um, but I tried to find a balance. It's hard, I will be honest, because a lot of our recorded history is rich white guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> the, the the American Revolution has been put in a different context for me since a couple of years ago when I was out of the country on Independence Day on mm-hmm. July Fourth, uh, mm-hmm. and I was I happened to be hanging out with a with a Brit at the time, and it happened to be ju- <laughs> July Fourth, and in my pure Americanness, I was like, yeah, it's July Fourth. It's the anniversary of when we of when we decided we weren't going to deal with you guys anymore. We kicked you guys out. And he said, oh, do you mean the anniversary of when we decided to pay attention to India instead and decided you were too much of a bother? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought about it and I said, yes. Yes, I, I mean that. But also, you guys fucked up in, in India. So yeah. don't, don't, I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't don't use be that as a proud of that. Point. That's not That's a- when- And I also joke about the fact that July 4th is the wrong day. <laughs> yeah. It should be July second, and also no one signed on July fourth. Oh, like the one. whole, the whole July fourth story is a fictional story created in eighteen thirty seven by a magazine editor named Jip, uh, George Lepard. Oh, and and uh, I know this one. John Adams hated this. Oh yeah. John Adams had a big thing about how it should be the second, and he and he listed out basically how we should celebrate and he got it mostly right it's just the day was wrong and john yeah, Ad- he writes a letter to abigail yeah and he's outlining it and her answer back is like great that's for half the nation what about the rest of the population and he goes to his grave pissed off about this <laughs> uh and of course thomas jefferson is happy about it because it made john adams mad like, but the funny thing is they end up both dying on July 4th. And uh, John Adams' last words were Thomas Jefferson lives. Or do I have that yes. backwards? No, no, no. You're correct. Okay. Like, he died. Like, they had a huge beef. But towards the end, I think they were kind of realizing, like, yo, let bygones be bygones. And John Adams dies thinking at least Thomas Jefferson is living. Sadly, though, Thomas Jefferson dies a few hours before him. I mean... On one hand, it's kind of nice to, like, in your dying breath, make peace with your enemy. But also, his wife must have been pissed. Like, <laughs> oh, cool. I don't get a fucking mention? Like, I guess. I think Abigail, it, it, from what I've read of Abigail, and I, I'm kind of, like, a little fangirl of Abigail. Like, at in a way, she's like, oh, good. You can stop annoying me now. <laughs> Like, she gave it back to John Adams just as much as he did. And, like, if she was alive, she would totally be the president, not John. It would have been her. And I had a conversation with someone that really described her as a comparison to Hillary Clinton. Like, where she was really the power behind, but the idea of a strong woman couldn't be favorable. So she had to be painted as this, like, unattractive, ugly, like... Yeah, mm. like Eleanor Roosevelt or such. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this finally ends with the boys getting really interested in the story. And they ask, like, hey, where did you get that story? And Andy's like, in your history book. Which, no, you didn't, Andy. You clearly did not. But all right. Yeah. Uh, and history books aren't always correct. Yeah. Because as I mentioned with the Paul Revere thing and a bunch of other stuff, like, history books are often like, can we talk about the Texas class book that was, the, the, that that like referred to enslaved people as migrant workers? Like, come on, hi. 
Well, Texas has an overwhelming influence on uh, the contents of textbooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. do not remember why. I think it's like the um, like their the the size of the state gives them a disproportional representation in terms of uh, yeah. in terms of approval. So everything you read in a textbook basically goes through Texas. So and there's only four like textbooks for history certified, whereas like science math all these other subjects have a wide selection whereas history only has four yeah i mean i yeah because i grew up in liberal ass massachusetts and still everything i knew of like uh of history was like rah rah we kicked their asses don't Mm -hmm. worry about any black history shit and I, I think it i think it's oklahoma's textbooks that refer to the trail of tears as the natives peacefully agreeing to move elsewhere. Yeah. Like, as if they went to, as if they just went to Brooklyn. <laughs> just insert my face a combination of shock and just rage. <laughs> I literally... Like, can we talk about mass genocide of the original people of this land? Sure. Okay. I literally had a history teacher, uh, I think when I was like a sophomore in high school, give us a packet and just say, don't read this section of the history book. Here's just put that in because like some of it was just so fucking texified. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why I was saying I hated history as a kid. It wasn't really until my high school European AP history and a teacher, Doc Brown, that really put history in a different perspective. Oh, well, of course he took you back to the future. Yes, yeah. Doc Brown. He had red hair, not white hair. He had red hair. He had the shock of red hair. It's it easy great. to get into history when you get there in a DeLorean. I yes. disagree. Well, he had white hair. <laughs> no, no. My, my Doc Brown white hair. had red hair. Well, and I have to totally, to totally, totally. He gave me my favorite saying in life. So he writes across the board. It's an old Yiddish saying, but he wrote it in English. Man plans and God laughs. And that is my personal motto. It's my favorite thing. But he writes that and he says, this is your number one thought because today we're going to talk about Napoleon's failed invasion of Russia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and that's when I kind of started changing my view of history. And then I got to college and I got into art history because art history actually teaches history differently. It's more contextual. Like a great example of that is the Picasso Guernica painting and talking about the horrors of the Civil War. Because painting oftentimes is painted by the people expressing their emotions. So art history focuses on that stuff. And that's when I fell in love with history. So. Um, okay, so back back to the episode. <laughs> Ooh, a little detour. Right. No, that, that's why <laughs> we brought you on. What show are we doing? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so, oh, uh, no. so the boys are now starting to go to their history textbook, yes. which is probably very flawed. So, so, <laughs> so Andy suggests that they form a club. They call themselves the Mayberry Minutemen. Uh, they form a history club. Again, the idea of violence and militia. Yeah, like, they're going to murder the history so good. <laughs> like, yeah. They're going to fight you with history. If he really wanted to be cool, he should have called them the Junto which was an educational organization that Ben Franklin helped start here in Philadelphia. That sole purpose was the development and expansion of knowledge. And that's how the first public library in the U S started July 1st, 1731, the Junto. That's what he should have called it. 
nonviolent just education. The boys wouldn't have been into it because it's not, there's no, they can't pretend yeah. to murder. I, I will note the that. boys will be boys. Yeah. Violence, yeah. violence. That's the only know the way they know how to do this. These kids mm-hmm. do talk about historical figures like mobbed up dock workers. At one, <laughs> <laughs> at one point, th- at one point, one of the boys is like, Paul Revere wasn't even born at that time. And Opie goes, yeah, well, don't knock him. <laughs> Who's knocking him? And then- it's funny. You think of them as dock workers. I thought they were, <laughs> I felt like they were talking about the historical figures, like players of a football team. You know how like people and like, or baseball, like how, at least in Philly, people get so impassioned arguing oh, in bars oh, about their player. Oh, they're, they're, they're talking about the, the historical figures as if they're like the Philadelphia Eagles. The kids themselves yeah. are talking like dock workers though. Yeah, they, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. They okay. sound like they're fucking uh like they're fucking old guys in a barber shop talking about yes. baseball. Like that was Joe DiMaggio, you son of a yeah, bitch. Exactly, exactly. And that is- like in a South Philly barber shop. You know, with the Italian flag outside. Yes. And that is what happens in the very next scene. So the very next scene opens up with a shot of all the kids' backs, and they're all doing the Pledge of Allegiance. And we go through the entire Pledge of Allegiance. So in a second. Give me a second. Yes. Give me a second. I'll pause. Because (laughs) Miss Crump gives this big resigned sigh. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, boy, every – she says specifically boys. I'm not talking to the girls. Every day – we do the Pledge of Allegiance. And I wonder if you boys ever hear those words or think about what they mean. And I'm, I pause and I'm screaming at the TV. Oh, go on, Helen. Yeah. Please tell us. Please tell us. It, it, it's this great point where Helen's like, we say this every day and the boys don't really pay attention and they don't really know what these words mean. But we still make them say it every day. I guess there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and doesn't, doesn't go into it. It's this annoying thing that the Andy Griffith show does all the time where it gets to the precipice of a point and then absolutely refuses to make that point. It's, it's such a cop out and it, it feels like this just like you fill in the rest because she says, I wonder if any of you ever hear those words, if you ever think about what they mean, she doesn't say what it means. And then she kind of just says, none of you know how this country was founded. And she just sighs and she's like upset. And that's when Opie jumps in and he's like, I know how this country was founded. Let's talk about Jamestown. And I'll, I'll just describe the rest of the scene. And then the other boys in the crew, they start to argue about who actually founded America. They argue about, uh, Christopher Columbus. And one of the other kids is basically like, Christopher Columbus never got to, an- to America. You don't. You absolute I idiot. Like that kid. You dickhead. The one and the one that jumped in. What about the Indians? Yeah. I was like, yeah. 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 That, yeah. O- o- Opie, that surprised me. Opie does like, turn yeah. around. Opie does say, like, it was the Indians. By the way, we really should have been saying natives this entire time, but they say Indians. I know. We, I, we, it bleeds into It bleeds. Yeah, we, like, first peoples, ap- ap- indigenous, Native Americans, Algonquin. Ap- yeah. Apologies all around. We're saying yeah. how they say it on the show. Apologies. A character uh, on the Andy Griffith show suggested that Native Americans were the first people to america and i was expecting just like a white guy in a suit to just walk on the screen and be like no they were not no <laughs> yeah banish that I, thought I, from I, your mind i was impressed that they put that in and like that redeemed the episode for me like that singular moment i was like all right that kid like opie right, it was I'll opie take that one yeah i'll take opie i'll take that one 
the rest of you, but that one's good. Uh, so yeah, so so I mean, that's how it concludes. It concludes with these four kids basically arguing as if they're talking about the greatest Eagles quarterback. Which I'll be honest, us history people, we're constantly arguing like that. Like we can spend <laughs> hours. It's it's. These these kids are getting ready to go to blows though. Like they are. Oh yeah, we will too. Yeah, we will too. So history people, we'll 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 we'll, we'll come to fisticuffs sometimes. Just like old <laughs> Italians on a street corner. And- no, we're usually sitting in a cafe or a library or or, or like something like that. Like we can just get knock that latte up. off the table. Just, ah! yes. mm-hmm. You're lucky we're in a library because if we weren't in a li- place of learning, I would be That's screaming at you. People fight in libraries constantly. That's the best part of going to libraries is seeing someone kick the shit out of somebody else. <laughs> but no, we could get really like like people who are really into history. We can definitely rumble in interpretation and discussion and value like because that's the beauty of like history now it's going through a very much a turning point where a lot of people are starting to look like there's the howard zim you know people's history and things like that and that's really stirring the pot and there's this generational like the andy griffiths of the world that are like no this is what i was taught and then there's like the rest of us are like, well, actually, c- c- congratulations, <laughs> Jen. You understand our podcast. You understand yeah. why we do this. Well, I could definitely dive in on the Pledge of Allegiance and a little bit on the Jamestown. Let's do, let's, like, let's do it. Let's dive in a little bit on the Pledge of Allegiance uh, on this because, like, this is very much the like patriotic moment of this. Of by the so way, before I dive in, before the- I dive in, I want to ask you guys a question. Okay. Yeah. When do you think the Pledge of Allegiance started? I I know that we didn't start. I know we didn't add under God into the pledge until no no no. Like oh, we'll things... talk about that. We'll talk about that. But when do you think like the first Pledge of Allegiance? World War One idea wasn't it like the sixties? Like it was a direct response to the rise of communism? No no no. That that that's the under God part. Uh, oh, I want to mm-hmm. the pledge. I'm gonna guess World War One. Maybe, maybe. Um, actually, 1892. Oh, wow. I was way off. And it was written by a socialist. Go on. Wow, I was way off. Go on. Mm-hmm. It was a minister, a socialist minister named Francis Bellamy. And he wrote it in 1892. Now, the original pledge, I pledge allegiance to my flag hmm. and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all now marty you were kind of close because after world war one in 1923 is when they added the united states part okay the flag of the united states because before it was republic okay and kind of dan you were touching on and marty you were too so with the rise of communism in 1954 president eisenhower is the one who added under god and this is kind of a controversy because this is also the, around the time that our national motto in God We Trust was changed. Because it wasn't that. It was e pluribus unum, of many one. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of our founding fathers were what was called deists. So it was like the socially acceptable atheists where they believe God created the universe and then went away. And everything else was up to humans. Uh, speaking okay. of speaking of Eisenhower, uh, according to the ultra reliable Mayberry Wiki, this was Eisenhower's favorite episode of the Andy Griffith Show. Good, fuck him. I can see that actually. I can see that. <laughs> I can under. I can see that. Well, Eisenhower can go to hell. Uh, 
Because <laughs> I did not care for it. He's definitely there. Yeah. For a number yeah. of reasons. <laughs> yeah, and and so this Pledge of Allegiance, it, it's interesting how we kind of adapt because I'm a mummer. And so my mummer's club, before we have meetings, we will pay respect to the flag. Please explain what a mummer is to our non-Philadelphia oh, audience. Mummers for non-Philadelphians is actually one of the oldest folk traditions of the United States. It has roots back to the Swedish in the late 1630s. And it used to be like adult trick-or-treating where people would dress in costume, go to door-to-door. Um, it's similar to like if you go over to Europe, it's like the Krampus and like winter festivals where they would ward off evil. Then in Philly, that merged with some Irish traditions. And it's basically a bunch of people in sequins and feathers, a little bit like Mardi Gras on New Year's Day, just parading down the street like I was a 19 foot wide peacock. And like most Philadelphia traditions, uh, it's a beautiful, wonderful, fun thing that is completely overshadowed in the public opinion by the 10% that are just use it as it used to be racist as fuck. Yes. Uh, it, yes. It, it has it has a history, essentially, uh, especially yes. for people who aren't mummers. And also people don't realize the early mummers, a lot of them were the black community because this tapped some of the Caribbean traditions. In, pub- in public eye of people who aren't mummers, we kind of associate it as like that weird, that weird racist, but still kind of almost like a gay pride parade that we have at the beginning of every year. Actually, I can do a whole episode of mummers because... There used to be a category of female impersonators, and they were basically would win at how passable they were as women. Mm. Like, not like drag. They're not being exaggerated. Like, they're trying to pass as real women. Mm. And it was, like, one of the biggest categories. Uh, I I mean, I'll give give the mummers this. They have made active attempts uh, in the past five yeah. years or so to dis- to get my club's one of those but yeah. as i was saying my club because of the issues of under god and some of the language in the pledge of allegiance that can be triggering we basically just pay respect to the flag we stand face the flag because we have an american flag in our club and we just stand in a moment of silence paying respect i like that and i That's really nice. like, I like that, that because you and yourself can have your like moment of silence of what that is for you. So that's, that's basically how the episode concludes uh, is that these four kids, now they like history and they're arguing over who the actual first Americans were. And then there's some other bullshit. These four kids argue over who the first Americans are. And then Miss Crump gets super hyped. She's like, I can teach now and fade to black basically on that. Uh, The last scene, the stinger, or I guess the last scene is, um, here's the thing, right? For, for like most writers, it'd be like, all right, cool. The conflict is ended. The show should be over. Not the Andy Griffith show. I mean, okay. (laughs) We don't need to give the show that much. But Andy tries to have a flirty romance thing with Miss Crump. Barney no. co- cock blocks him no. repeatedly. I'm going to talk about the agonizing, like, five minutes of Don Knotts talking about how to remember numbers. No, we don't. It's so long and, and painful. And this irked me because history agonizing. is not dates. History is the story. The dates just put it in a framework. But it was just like, everyone always asks, like, when I became a tour guide, everyone's like, how do you remember all the dates? I was like, 
I can do an entire tour without giving you dates because that's not the singular sum of all of history. Dan is trying so desperately to drag us through this slog of an ending, and I will not let him. I suffered through this. We all suffered through this, and everyone else has to, too. It was just Dude. Don Knotts yelling numbers. It was just, it's just Don Knotts tells you numbers. Like, it's... For six minutes! It's like a fucking Sesame Street thing. Like, it's just Don Knotts says the number one. Or like a bad bingo. He just explains numbers a to you. A bad bingo without letters. Yeah. He's like, you know the number one? It's one. You know the number seven? It's also a number. <laughs> I mean, it would have been redeemable if you put, like, the Sesame Street count, like, in there floating through the screen. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Uh, let's, let's just do this. All right, Dan. <laughs> let's escape this. <laughs> let's escape this. I right, just so- refuse to do the last scene with you because it's just, it's Andy Griffith. I do some Andy Griffith after this. And I have nothing to really comment on this. Yeah, so, it sucks. Like, uh, I, right. I picked enough battles. People so- are, like, probably like, shut up. So, all right, so our, our rating system, Jen, uh, we do every episode on a two, like an X, Y axis. We have the Andy meter. Okay. The Andy meter is how much did we actually enjoy this? How much were we entertained by this? <laughs> um, like as, as, a, as a half hour of television, how much did we enjoy this? And the Barney meter or the FIFO meter is how much damage did this episode do to people? Like how much? How much did this fuck up Americans for a little bit? Uh, so, oh, I like your facial, facial expressions. Uh, I'm going to start with Andy Meter. This episode isn't very good. I will say, though, I like when Andy monologues on a thing. I like watching him do the Southern. That's what he was good at. Uh, and this episode is mostly that. Uh, but that's really the only, like, I would say entertaining part of this. So for me, this is a four. I'm going to put it at like a two. Four out of what? Oh, out of ten. Out of ten. Oh, okay. I'm going to put it at like a two just because, like, I had to watch this again to do notes for it. And I put it off until, like, a half hour before we recorded. <laughs> like, I I was like, I guess, I, I I'll just watch it. I'll just. I'll just get around to watch it tomorrow. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. And I did that for a fucking week. Like, it's just <laughs> such a fucking slog. I hate Andy Griffith tells you history. Like, I hate Andy <laughs> Griffith tells you most things. But, like, this one was particularly painful. Uh, Jen, before you give us your number rating, let me ask you. Are you likely to ever watch another episode of The Andy Griffith Show ever again based on this? Your face says no. <laughs> yeah, probably no, unless there's a specific episode where they like address something really particular no. to my interest. Don't do it. Don't do it. Escape um, your enjoy your freedom. Like yeah. J- yeah. I'm definitely more of a Mr. Rogers kind of person. Yeah. You know? Like, Run and frolic yeah. out in the world of not having to watch this show. <laughs> yeah, no. Send uh, us fucking postcards. Alright, so so <laughs> Andy Meter, Jen. Uh, so this is a tough one, and since it's my first time doing it, um, it was a little bit of an emotional roller coaster, I will say. Like, I started out with a lot of anger and angst, and then I was, like, frustration, and then, like, towards the end, I think that, like, Opie with the, like, but what about the Indians kind of, like, brought me back. So I would probably also go with you with, like, a four or, or a five in the middle range, okay. um, because, like, the end where like they were showing the kids engaged in education and learning, like at least it ended on a redeemable point. 
I think if it had a different ending, I probably would have been like negative 5,000. Uh, okay. So, so that's a good segue for the Barney meter, which is like, how much damage did this do to like baby boomer psyche? And I'm going to make a controversial stance here and I'm going to put it at a five. And the reason I'm going to put it at a five is that it doesn't introduce any new concepts. Yeah. It, it just kind of reinforces the ones that are already present in America at that time. So I can't really say that it's like a 10. It like, it, it, like they would have gotten this idea from from history from any other source, so I'm gonna put Barney Meter at a five for me. Yeah, I think that's like it just kind of continued the horrible trend that uh, that America has of like uh, turning its history into like GI Joe, like uh, of mm-hmm. just turning it into like Saturday morning cartoons. Like it just does a very good job of it. So yeah, five feels yeah, good. yeah. I think I would agree too because. As Marty said, like, it doesn't introduce anything new. It's just reaffirming what already was the behavior and the habit of our nation at that time. Um, I also highly doubt anyone read into the episode as deeply as we did. So that's every episode. It just kind of like skimmed over their heads. So I would probably go with a five as kind of being like benign. Yeah, I feel that way, too. Uh, maybe I should feel like I should give it a bonus point for being Eisenhower's favorite, but like, so there we go. That is, uh, our episode for today. We've been on this for a bit, but I hope that this was probably the most educational episode of Breaking Mayberry. I think basically hands down. A hundred percent. I think I definitely did like 90% of the talking. And I think because I was different than you, Dan, because I literally watched the episode like seconds after I was asked <laughs> to do this. I was very surprised. As, and then as I was watching it, I had like notes, like f- fluid consciousness notes that I was taking. And then I, I pulled out notes that I had of historical events to refresh. So I did like, I was being the girl from the episode where, of course, I did my homework. Yeah, you, I want you, earned you the right to talk the most. Did your homework. I want it known that I told Jen over the past week no fewer than three times, you don't have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> this took me a grand total of 15 minutes, historical, like skimming my notes, and this was during the episode. So I put a total of 45 minutes into this. Because for, 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 for our guests, like... There are no, the only thing you're expected is to know more than Dan and I. And that bar is so low because we are so dumb. (laughs) Well, the part of the problem is we're touching on history like Boston. Like I do tours in Boston, but like I don't do them every day. And like the Civil War, because like Philly wasn't really involved in it. I was like, oh, let me brush up on that. And then you have like, you know, Virginia. So I was like, ah. I feel a little self-conscious. Let me just double check. So let's let's. That's a good segue for what do you do every, every day and uh, what in this stuff. So uh, uh, before I say where to find us, Jen, where can people find you and uh, your cool stuff on the internet? What do you want to promote and plug? I am a tour guide through free tours by foot. They can go to our website. Um, they can request a private tour, or they can book through our website one of our pay as you wish tours. Um, They're walking tours predominantly. Right now, we are running kind of modified with the pandemic, but we do history tours, ghost tours. I'm also starting a series of recording audio tours, and I'm teaching myself video production to make some like video episodes of historical sites we cover on tours. And that also cites that 
we don't get to go to on tour that are just like the hermit's cave in Fairmount Park, you know, like it's just too far removed to include on a walking tour. So I'm, I'm mostly just go to our website and then like you can search free tours by foot. Um, Instagram, I will say I'm not super active because I've been a little obsessed with TikTok. Um, so I'm loudmouth lady and it's generally just pictures of my personal travels and cute animals. Where's that TikTok? Where do they find that TikTok that you're obsessed oh, with? Oh, I'm not on TikTok. I'm oh, a total oh, TikTok stalker. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if you go to Instagram, that's what you're going to see. So you're probably best just go to Free Tours by Foot. And since I'm the regional manager, all emails come to me. So, uh, yeah. And speaking of Instagrams that no one uses, our Instagram <laughs> is at Breaking Mayberry. On Twitter, we are at Break Mayberry. Uh, Facebook.com slash Breaking Mayberry. On the internet, I am at Schneid Remarks. That is S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds 2Ds. And thank you again, Jen, for hanging out with us and yeah. educating us uh, in ways that our elementary teachers never did. Um, hey, don't knock the teachers. As I said, the teachers... Our elementary like, school education and administration never did. Yes, yeah, yeah. The public Blame school the system, system of America. Not the teachers. Okay. Blame the system. The public school system Sorry. of America. Uh the music you heard before and are about to hear was made by Max Ludwig, who is on Twitch as Sleep Talkie. Uh, as always, if you want to help us with your money dollars, we are on Patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Currently, we're doing a whole bit about adult animation uh, of the 90s on Patreon. So those are the bonus episodes you can look forward to. Plus, you, get, plus you get deleted scenes and stuff that didn't make it into the podcast. A uh, <laughs> whole bunch of extra time to spend with your favorite Mayberry boys. Uh, <laughs> Don't call us that. <laughs> that's it for all of us. We will see you all in a couple of weeks when we are in the home stretch of season three, finally. Uh, until then, be safe, and we'll see y'all down at the fish pool. Oh. Bum 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 b